Eco Interviews listeners, as you know, the Eco Interviews is where we amplify the voices of eco warriors from across the world. My name is Fiona Martin, and I started the Eco Interviews as a way to speak to people who are involved in helping tackle the climate crisis we find ourselves in. I'm excited to share this interview with you. I speak with Randy, the founder and CEO of Handep, a social enterprise that works to empower women and farmers in the Kalimantan through sustainable fashion and agricultural products. He is also a social scientist whose research focuses on political economy, indigenous people, and gender issues within the development sphere. His interests include sustainability, genders, social justice, indigenous rights, and community development. Through Handep, Randy strives to improve the local economy, especially for rural and forest-dependent communities in Indonesian Borneo, and preserve the rainforest not only for the biodiversity value, but for every living being who depends on forests. My chat with Randy is both inspirational and heartbreaking. Inspirational that Randy is creating a business that considers everything involved in the cycle, the natural resources, the people making the items, their economic well-being, and the consumer. Heartbreaking that Indigenous people are fighting for their lives, their homes, and their livelihoods. This story of colonizing and extraction industries is happening around the world. When we fight for the environment, we must tackle these systems head on as they are a driving force in environmental degradation and social injustice. Hear what Randy has to say and check out Handep on social media and their website. Hi, Randy. Thank you for joining us all the way from Jakarta, Indonesia. I'm super excited to interview you for the Eco Interviews. Let's get started with, uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Hi, everybody. My name is Randy Julian Miranda. You can call me Randy. I'm the founder and uh, CEO of Hunter, which is a social enterprise based in Indonesian Borneo, uh, precisely in central Kalimantan. We work to empower our indigenous people, especially the women, through uh, more sustainable livelihoods, such as sustainable fashion and agricultural products. So yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing in the past three years. And prior to that, I actually worked for a number of different international organizations focusing on sustainability, especially within the forest, uh, forest governance. Excellent. Can you tell us um, a little bit about your personal background? You mentioned that you're a social scientist. And then what um, what drove you to start Handep with these women and the indigenous people in that region? Well, uh, I think uh, it's really personal to me. I was born and grew up in a very remote uh, village in central Borneo, where uh, my family was uh, basically a traditional farmer and also gold miner. So my childhood was really close to nature where I used to go to the forest foraging for fruits, vegetables, and sometimes I went for hunting with my, with my dad or with my grandfather. And then, yeah, um, I also spent a lot of time on, on our rice field uh, as a, as a diet, uh, our my childhood especially was very, very connected to nature. But then as I grew up, things started to change where I witnessed a lot of uh, massive extractive industries development taking place on our land. But unfortunately, this kind of massive development is affecting, affecting our indigenous people, my people from our own lands. 
um, and we are often only left with environmental destructions like uh, the loss of the forest, the extinctions of uh, the animals, and also our right to lands and forests are being uh, deprived of uh, by <laughs> these big corporations. So I was thinking like what was going on, but as someone who was, who was living and studying in such a remote village, I didn't understand the complexity of the issues. Long story short, I spent like six years working with uh, several international organizations after I completed my bachelor degree back in 2012. And I learned a lot of different things uh, around sustainability issues, especially in regards to the rights of indigenous people. And then I started to understand uh, gradually what was going on uh, on, my, on our land. And I decided to, to deepen my knowledge, to, to harness my understanding on how things actually work. Uh, on our land, uh, in our place, and then uh, I, I, I did my master's uh, at the University of Melbourne, Australia, uh, in 2017. And after that, through a lot of reflections, uh, I decided to come back to my home village to actually start doing something with uh, our community, because uh, at that moment, I wasn't sure if I had to continue my career with these big international organizations because a lot of lessons learned that most of the projects are very short term, two or three years and then they're gone after the donors funding uh, is done. They're also gone and our people just uh, have no idea uh, how to carry on with the, with the projects uh, after they, they, they left our, our community. So I was thinking, how can I start something that is local, that is uh, that aligns with our traditions and cultures, and also, of course, long term, not only one or two years, and then I'm gone. So uh, I I went on a on, on a study on on a survey uh, to a number of villages, uh, especially my home village, and. Uh, collectively with my people uh, started to identify what can be developed as an alternative sources of livelihoods or incomes uh, for us that uh, can be done by locals and also can benefit the locals but uh, you know like uh, in in a sustainable way that doesn't harm the environment especially doesn't uh, you know uh, doesn't uh, damage the forest because it's our source of livelihoods. Yeah, long story short, uh, uh, we came up with this uh, a few options that we can begin with and sustainable fashion, like the bags and hats that we have been producing since 2018 is the first priority that our people choose uh, to, to work on. Uh, and Handep uh, ever since has been focusing on sustainable fashion and we we i think five months ago just started developing some organic agricultural products so it's basically uh based on my own journey and collective voice and interest of our people but then through my leadership uh, i try to to do what i can to support my community in order to get the rights that they're supposed to deserve that's amazing randy i i what an amazing story from you coming from a village, but 
and trying to find something that's going to work long term for the village to sustain the indigenous crafts and, and, and help the livelihood of the people as we are in an ever evolving world and, you know, modernization moves into different areas. It sounds like you're adapting. And I think it's very commendable as well that you surveyed the people in the villages to ask them what they wanted to come to market with, because um, I think it's easy. Well, first of all, you're not an outsider, so you have that compassion with your people. But I think it's too easy for outsiders to come in and dictate to a community what they should be selling. So can you highlight these indigenous crafts for us? Tell us about these wonderful baskets and hats. And then you said you're moving into uh, agriculture as well. Um, well, uh, here we go. If we look at the socioeconomic landscapes of indigenous people across Southeast Asia, especially in Indonesia, the major or main livelihoods of our people are two, traditional agriculture and uh, handcraft. Uh, especially for women, handcrafts uh, play a very significant role uh, to support their livelihoods. Uh, and millions of people actually depends on uh, crops uh, to not only to survive but also to get a better uh, quality of life in, in our ever-changing uh, world and economic landscape. And in central Borneo itself, a lot of villages actually depend on uh, crops and organic or traditional farming uh, for their sources of livelihoods. And then uh, the people that I work with, uh, around 200 uh, community members that are uh, part of uh, our initiative since late 2018, uh, are all depending on uh, crops. The men uh, are doing the, uh, the harvest uh, of rattan in the forest. Rattan is the, uh, a type of natural fiber that grows in the forest. So it's, it's actually a very sustainable type of palm that can only grow in the forest and a very uh, durable material that is often used for furniture, um, baskets, and also uh, fashion crafts. Uh, maybe I want to show you one of uh, our designs, our signature design is this one. This is uh, the bag. Very beautiful, very intricate. And I believe this is very unique uh, to my indigenous uh, community here in, in central Borneo. So they depend on craft. Mm -hmm. These five villages that we are now working with depend on craft, uh, not only for their day-to-day -day basic survival but also to send their children to school to get better education and directly craft also crafting rattan using rattan also contributes to forest preservation because as, as i mentioned earlier it can only grow in the forest so uh, for them if they want to uh, have the rattan as a raw materials in the long run then they need to preserve their forest Mm -hmm. So not only that it is supporting the local economy of the indigenous community here, but it also contributes to natural climate change solutions. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't cultivate rattan in a sort of... It, it, it cannot be grown as a monoculture. It has to okay. be 
it has to grow in the in the forest. One because the way it grows is by creeping over the tall trees to get the sunlight. Oh wow! I'll have to find like a photo of that somewhere and add that. That's that's very unique. Um, yes. So, fashion. The fashion industry has a bad reputation when it comes to <laughs> the environment. What difficulties have you faced in bringing a, a sustainable and ecocentric fashion brand to market? Uh, I think uh, first and foremost is to slowly change the mindset of the customers of our, of the people who are buying uh, the products because they're very used to cheap products that is uh, massively produced, mass production, and they can get away with it at a really low price. Well, sometimes they're not really cheap anyway, but with uh, more and more uh, uh, clothing or fashion brands uh, doing mass productions, it has become a lot more affordable. So, of course, uh, our market is very, very segmented, mm -hmm. only to who already have the foundational knowledge or understanding of sustainability and how uh, fashion industry especially has such a uh, an adverse impacts uh, on the environment and also the people who got involved in the supply chain. So trying to educate people about uh, our values, our process, our supply chains are very, very difficult. Even until now, it's still our big, big task to actually craft that under better understanding for people but we're slowly getting there by creating more interactive contents like videos uh, posters uh, photos to you know give some sort of information uh, about what we do so people have a better understanding so uh, in doing our work we are not only selling the products but we also at the same time educating people about the impacts of uh, fast fashion on how bad it is uh, for, uh, you know, uh, socially and also uh, ecologically. I think that's <laughs> that's one of the biggest challenges. And second of all, uh, I think it's also uh, trying to uh, educate people about fair trade. Yeah, mm -hmm. about fair trade because sometimes people undervalue sustainable products like handcraft products, handmade products it's more often than not underappreciated and undervalued by the people because uh, they think that because it's handmade and it's supposed to be cheap, especially here in Asia, mm -hmm. we kind of have a reverse mindset compared to a lot of people in Europe or in the States that value handcraft products or handmade products more than uh, mass-produced uh, products. So uh, we sort of uh, facing a challenge on how to uh, reverse the narrative for handmade product like this but uh, we have done some uh, really really uh, uh, significant efforts on trying to explain the process behind every product you know from upstream to downstream so people have a better understanding on how complex the process is on how eco-friendly it is on how uh, how impactful we are uh, socially and environmentally uh, in in doing our business. Mm -hmm. That's that's commendable. Can you describe who that hand dip girl is? Who is your ideal customer? Uh, mostly people who are who embrace sustainability principles in their life, uh, or are 
uh, into handmade products. And in terms of incomes, uh, if we talk about uh, demographic, uh, it's at the moment, unfortunately, mostly middle to upper class. Well, it doesn't mean that we don't want to engage people at the lower bottom uh, of the economy, but because uh, in terms of price, we do not want to, you know, do the same mistake like uh, big, big brands do with their, with their you know, uh, products uh, pricing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like you lead with the sustainability aspect. That is certainly an value add to your um, product. Is it, do you have any or do you experience any backlash from leading with the sustainability aspect or are people very open to this? The answer is yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is yes and no. Uh, here is the problem. So people often think that uh, a lot of brands are using the word sustainability only as a as a branding and marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. So there is a notion that uh, sustainability is often uh, only a form of greenwashing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of our biggest challenges in, in, you know, communicating our value to our customers or potential customers. But uh, it's also easy. Uh, the moment we become very transparent with our business process. So, for instance, uh, we are very open and transparent about our pricing formula, where we, you know, uh, inform where all the money goes, like how many percent of the uh, total price of each product goes to the weavers, goes to the tailors, goes to the additional materials and packaging, uh, how many percent that goes to operational uh, costs, and how many uh, percent of profit margin we are taking. We're being very open with that uh, component. So if you, for instance, are buying one of our products, then it will come with a tag that explains everything uh, about our social enterprise about the women or the, the weavers behind the product that makes the products. And we also explain about the uh, pricing uh, components uh, uh, in, the, in the product tech so people have a better understanding. But uh, uh, it, we, we're slowly educating more and more people here, especially in Indonesia, to be aware of uh, where their money actually goes to. Mm-hmm. And, what impacts uh, their money can actually make. It's either positive or negative. And uh, we're trying to to convince them that uh, every penny that they spend on our products actually goes to make good uh, impacts. Yeah, and it's staying within your community as well. I imagine that's uh, something to highlight that you're not, that the money isn't going abroad, that it's staying within Indonesia, right? Yeah. Yeah. do you sell only in Indonesia? What is your market right now? Well, we mostly sell here uh, domestically in Indonesia, but we also have started uh, doing worldwide shipping. Worldwide shipping, it's mostly retail. So basically, Handeps uh, focuses more on B two C or uh, retails. Eighty uh, percent we do retails. Uh, we have done shipment to a lot of countries but in a very small quantity, like just one or two pieces, uh, Europe, US, Australia, and uh, other uh, neighboring Asian countries. 
um, yeah, we just started that actually uh, in late 2019. Okay. But we really focus more on domestic market because we're being very careful uh, with our, you know, uh, carbon footprint and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to ask you is, is um, you know, I certainly have an interest in buying from from handcrafts instead of fast fashion. But I, I'm always concerned a lot of these handcrafts um, do come from overseas. Unfortunately, in the United States, we've very much decimated our um, indigenous handcrafts, which is not great. But uh, how, as someone, because this is leading with sustainability and, and, and the environment, how are you tackling, if your international market grows, the, the emissions involved in international shipping? So uh, what we do with uh, carbon offset, I would say, yes, sort of carbon offset mechanism. Oh my God, I've forgotten a lot of things that I, that I studied <laughs> during my <laughs> um, Yeah, so every purchase uh, plants one tree. So like I mentioned earlier, all these raw materials, these ratans are sourced from the forest and they can only grow in the forest. So, but there are a lot of forests that have been degraded because of palm oil, mostly logging companies and also mining companies. And they are just left like that, degraded, all damaged. So what we do on that is that we plan one tree for every purchase of one bag. So it comes with a certificate like this, yeah. And then it says here, uh, I'm not sure if you can see it clearly, mm -hmm. one bag, one tree. So it also, uh, you know, our effort to reduce our carbon emission because uh, we, when we do it, uh, when we do international shipping, we are very aware that uh, it takes, uh, you know, a uh, significant amount of fossil fuel. So we try to offset that by planting tree. And not only that, we also are using 20% of, you know, uh, our profit to actually support a lot of uh, social or community de development programs here, including supporting the indigenous communities getting their, their rights to their own forests. So here in Indonesia, we are starting to support uh, one of the community that we work with to get uh, their legal paper or for their ownership of their own uh, customary forest because it has not been legally recognized by the state. So uh, it's one of the efforts that we are doing uh, through uh, the profit that we are making uh, through the business. That's excellent. Uh, and are you doing anything special with your packaging, like reducing the packaging or using sustainable packaging? Yes, we. Uh, I'm going to show you. We usually we offer our customers two options if they want to use uh, uh, all uh, use boxes or they want to use our uh, recycle uh, boxes made of uh, recycled paper, <laughs> and also for the for the inside we actually use the waste from the rattan is organic waste uh, so everything is uh well i can tell 80 percent is uh sustainable made of nature naturally uh, biodegradable uh, materials so uh if they want to use this one then uh we will use this but if they just want to use uh, old box uh from 
we collect uh, how, how did you say that use boxes mm-hmm. uh, from stores nearby because they usually just chuck it out into the trash bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 use it as a as a packaging box. We have uh, that options for our customers, and uh, also we always inform them uh, that uh, we are offsetting our carbon by planting one tree in every uh, you know uh, communication materials uh, with the customers. I love it. It looks like I can put that extra rattan and the cardboard in my composting pile, and then it can feed my garden, and it's full circular. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you see for the future of hand dip? You're doing handcrafts now. You you briefly mentioned the traditional agriculture. Can you talk about that and any other, uh, what you see coming down the line? This is the organic rice and this is the jungle honey. Uh-huh. Yes, so we, with the organic rice, uh, this is our new project. So, you know, Asians eat a lot of rice, especially Indonesians. It's like our main staple here. But the thing is, it's being done uh, in a very, very uh, unsustainable way and in a very massive scale. But what's interesting about traditional agriculture here is they don't use uh, chemical uh, fertilizers. They don't use uh, pesticides. They use it very in a very traditional way. They only use uh, organic uh, fertilizers by using leaves and, you know, uh, woods, stuff like that, uh, that they collect from the forest. And we started to promote this uh, product as an alternative uh, for uh, regular rice. Mm-hmm. And actually, the demand is quite good uh, for, for this kind of rice because more and more people in Indonesia, actually around 10% of the population are transitioning to a more healthy lifestyle by only consuming uh, organic products. So that, that's a good move. And uh, as for the fashion products, uh, we see that we, we are aiming to be one of the leading sustainable fashion brands, uh, not only in Asia, but also globally, because I personally believe that traditional uh, handcraft should be the new luxury. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because uh, it's met through a very long and intricate process. Uh, almost no use, almost zero use of fossil fuel, unless the moment you ship it uh, <laughs> overseas. And it's met with love and care. And uh, interestingly, Rattan can last for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. It can last for more than 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Not any less durable than genuine leather, you know. As long as you know how to take care of it, it can last very, very long. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, how do you forest the, or how do you harvest the forest honey? Oh, they actually for uh, harvest it only once or twice a year during the uh, tropical fruit season. Mm-hmm. So there will be a lot of uh, honeybees making their hives uh, in the tall trees in the forest mm-hmm. because they eat the you know the the flowers the yeah. the fruit flowers, and that's the moment they usually harvest it. So how we work with the uh, honey foragers is they basically supply the raw honey to us and then we do all the packaging uh, for them. 
and it's kind of uh, seasonal products because <laughs> they don't uh, produce a lot of jungle honey. Yeah, so they don't they don't set up like hives everywhere. They're actually foraging in the forest. They're foraging in the forest. That's amazing. I bet it's I bet it's delicious. I can't imagine what that tastes like. <laughs> it is. Yes. Do these products have more health benefits? I imagine like forage, forage honey and also um, organically produced tr rice through traditional agriculture must have a higher nutritional benefit than something that's produced chemically. Yes, uh, especially for the organic rice, they smell much, much better than the you know, rice that is grown uh, conventionally because uh, the, the Dayak people only grow the rice once a year because they only rely on the rain for their irrigation system. So it's only once a year and it's uh, on, on, uh, on a high land. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So uh, the taste is different, the texture is also different. And uh, usually, you know, this kind of rice is very, very, uh, considered very, very uh, one, of, one of a kind because uh, they don't actually uh, grow the rice for commercial purposes. Rather, uh, they, they grow it for their own food. So kind of self, uh, uh, you know, self-sufficient for mm -hmm. their subsistence needs. And only the surplus of the harvest will be sold. So mm -hmm. they don't actually, they're not actually that very, very capitalistic like us uh, uh, in, in the city or, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in urban areas. They, they're more uh, conscious about their own uh, consumptions and they see it as their own responsibility. And especially with the villages that are working with us, it's still uh, compulsory for each household to have their own rice field. So they usually stock it up for the entire year because they only do the, uh, the, the farming once a year. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So um, why do we need more ethical fashion companies like Handap and businesses that are tapping into these traditional uh, product making skills i think first and foremost uh, ethical fashions uh, is beyond just uh, about money making mm -hmm. it it has more values than just profit uh, generation but it also uh, usually champions for cultural preservation uh, community empowerment social justice there are so many values that ethical fashions uh, actually embody and I think it's really important to support this uh, noble cause, uh, not only for uh, the sake of our uh, physical, uh, you know, uh, appearance, but also the beauty deep down uh, there. And especially with ethical fashion, uh, uh, I think why it's it's becoming more and more important uh, in the twenty first century because. Um, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of ethical fashions are trying to, how would I say that, uh, trying to preserve what is already gone, and it doesn't promote uh, over consumerism, like you can observe with uh, fast fashion in general, 
every season they always change their designs they always you know encourage people to buy they always make people feel bad if their clothes or their bags or their hats are no longer uh, in trend uh, mm-hmm. ethical fashion is promoting more you know like timeless fashion that fashion should not about shouldn't only about style but it it should be about your identity your mm-hmm. your identity as individual mm-hmm. i love that i think i think you're tapping into something that i hope grows globally which is is to get out of this consumer cycle that we've been brought into like you said fast fashion not only has so many seasons but the 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 clothes and the items are made so poorly that even if you did love that top it, you you can't wear it longer than a year because it's going to fall apart and so to buy beautiful handcrafted items that that are made with love that uh, are durable that are timeless is 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 a, is a noble thing to do. And I th- for me, at least, it brings me joy as well to understand that someone's hands have crafted this and, and you know, you feel that. So, um, man, I would love to love to be able to get uh, something from HandDep myself. So in, in saying that, how do people connect with HandDep? How would you like us to find you online or elsewhere? Uh, yeah, uh would be really great if you get one of our collections and uh if you guys want to uh find out more about us and want to keep in touch you can follow us on our social media platforms like on our instagram mm-hmm. uh you can just type handap and then it will uh, pop up uh, on your search and you can also visit our website uh mm-hmm. com and go to our youtube channel if you wanna uh, watch our documentary video it explains a lot of things about why we started handap and what we actually do and how we do what we are doing every information is there and i'm happy to answer your questions about what we do because uh, we are obliged to do so we are obliged to 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 communicate uh, whatever we can to our customers uh, or simply you know public out there and i think uh it's not always easy for an initiative like ours especially in a developing countries and in a very very remote area here in indonesia to be recognized by wider audience so i, I really hope that uh we can connect you guys can find out more about what we do here Yes, I'm going to definitely share all those links and HandEP is spelled H-A-N-D-E-P for anyone who's just listening along on the podcast. We will link to uh, all the social media and the website in the show notes and we'll make sure to link to them on our social media as well. Um, Randy, this has been a wonderful interview with you. Is there anything, any other thoughts that you would like to, to leave us with or anything you want to tell our audience? Oh yeah, maybe uh, I didn't mention this in the beginning that Borneo Island, where we are, where I am now, is uh, the third largest island in the world. And it is home to the second largest remaining rainforest in the world after Amazon. So it plays a very critical role, not only for people here in Indonesia, but also globally because it serves as the lung of the world. So Mm -hmm. what we do really matters. It's not only about fashion items like this but it's a lot bigger than that it's about 
uh, giving the dignity and the rights of our indigenous people. It's also about supporting the forest preservations for our future generations, not only here, but also globally, because climate change or global warming uh, have no boundary. So every, uh, every one of us is definitely impacted by climate change. So uh, your support will mean a lot to us because uh, it is about our collective future. And one more thing, uh, this is a two cent uh, from me as a social planner or just uh, as a fashion uh, entrepreneur that we need to look beyond just uh, financial gain in doing business. We also need to take into account the impacts that we create to our people and also to our environment. And remember, by the end of the day, you don't die with your money, but you die with your legacy. And people yes. will remember that. I love that, Randy. Thank you. Um, actually, before we close out, tell us, you said uh, that Borneo is the second lar third largest island in the world and it's home to the second largest rainforest. Tell us again or tell us a little bit more about what is threatening the rainforest in particular in Borneo. Now, with the complex politic uh, political economy here in Indonesia, uh, it's not only domestic investment, but also foreign investment are taking over our lands and forests. A lot of uh, gold and coal mining and oil company, palm oil, and also logging companies are massively and rampantly uh, degrading our forests. But remember that those forests are not only home to the orangutan or to the exotic animals, but it, it's also home to thousands and even millions of indigenous people whose livelihoods are dependent on the forest resources. So this is actually very, very urgent issue that we are trying to tackle, but because we are very remote and often underreported by the mainstream media, we don't have a lot of platforms to, to, you know, to share uh, about the issues that are uh, threatening the, one of the oldest rainforests in the world here. We certainly want to highlight that. And something you mentioned briefly, but I'm interested in is um, because we're having the same issue actually here, even in South Carolina, is uh, land ownership in that the indigenous people's right to the land is not being recognized. So these forests are seen as being not owned by anyone, which is a, a land ownership is a modern concept that just doesn't translate everywhere. Right. So how are how is the community fighting to protect land that in a legal on paper sense might not have their name on it? The communities here, indigenous, indigenous communities here across Indonesia are struggling to, to get the rights of their own lands and forests. And uh, although the government has this initiative to recognize and give legal recognition uh, on paper to indigenous people but it has been poorly done it has been uh, it has been uh, how would I say that uh, distracted by uh, economic interests of uh, you know huge investments and also uh, most indigenous communities here don't have the technical capacity to 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 get what the uh, to get the legal papers uh, from the state and in indonesia 
almost every land and forest uh, are owned by the state. Mm. So even though the existence of indigenous communities have long been there, even prior to the establishment of Indonesia as a country, but the thing is in order for them to be recognized as an indigenous community or, or as a customary community still needs legal paper from the government so it's kind of you know uh how would i say that uh it's, it's such a paradox here you know in indonesia because you cannot claim your forest uh, your customary forest uh because you don't have the legal paper but in order to be acknowledged or recognized as a uh, as an indigenous people or customary people customary people is the term that we use here in indonesia for indigenous people but you also need the legal paper from the government to mm -hmm. acknowledge as a as an indigenous community so it's really it's really weird and it shows a very complex uh uh political economy of a land control in Indonesia, where the government is very, very, uh, uh, how would I say that, um, reluctant to give the lands and forests that actually belong to the indigenous people that have been there for ages. So it's very complex, and that's what I actually am going through at the moment, uh, supporting one of indigenous communities to get that legal paper for their... <laughs> customary forest and it has been the process has been you know so difficult and uh, going through complex bureaucracy and and the thing is uh, we don't have one uh, one uniform or uh, one nationally agreed map of uh, land use plan mm -hmm. in Indonesia so the governments of different la different levels have their own maps to refer to so it makes it even more complex but one set one same narrative is that all government uh, at all levels are very supportive of extractive industry that makes the the you know the life and uh, the struggles of indigenous people even a lot more difficult it must be incredibly frustrating to have to prove to some legal entity that you exist and you have rights. I know, right? For instance, like you as a human and you need to be acknowledged by the government as a human. It's just like, it's so weird. Like why you need that kind of uh, legal uh, acknowledgements of your identity as an individual or as a community. Yeah, it's it, to me, it's just uh, proof that like colonialism is still, you know, coming in and and causing problems. There's recently in the U.S. been a very big backlash talking about um, colonial settlers and stuff and and the impacts. And, um, you know, not only do we need to fight the ill effects of what our ancestors did hundreds of years ago, we need to be helping those communities that are facing it right here and right now. And it sounds like Borneo is one of those communities that need to get um, a wider audience to understand what's going on so that we can support somehow. And I just, with climate change and everything's going on, it, it still surprises me that as a human race, we move forward with these extractive industries. Um, but, you know, when the profit motive is so strong, it's very hard to, to kick people of that habit. Yeah. 
it's, it's really frustrating, honestly. And I have been uh, through depressions as well, especially this year, because there are so many uh, land disputes uh, over forest areas between indigenous communities and uh, extractive uh, extractive companies uh, here in Borneo. And being part of that uh, movement to, to support uh, our people is uh has never been easy and i don't know it's it's been very difficult when we look at the bigger picture of our uh eco socio-economic system that we're living today i think there are this is so wrong at so many levels and i just don't understand why a small group of people are super so so greedy and do not look at the impacts that they, they they cause on others and also the the environment it's so it's so devastating yeah are there any organizations or groups that are fighting uh, this that you would like to direct us to that or do you have that information on the website we do we, we have that uh indigenous uh alliance here okay uh, the local one and also the nationals ones and we also have some other uh, grassroots uh, organizations that work or champions for the rights of indigenous people of course uh, i can connect uh, you to them uh, if you want to find out more information because they're all uh, actually uh, we've been working together on the same issue especially this year all these different organizations that share the same vision are united uh, because the the issues that we are facing now have been very very you know uh, have been much more uh, complex and bigger than ever so mm -hmm. we're trying to, uh, to create a joint force in order to accelerate the process of uh, of the uh, conflict resolutions mm -hmm. yes I'd love to connect with those organizations and we can promote them as well so that people can follow and support in whatever way makes the most sense for those organizations yeah <laughs> Well, Randy, I really appreciate you spending the time with us. We've managed to make it work across incredible time zones from, from Indonesia all the way to the East Coast of the United States. And so to be in your presence, even digitally, has been a complete joy. Um, I look forward to sharing HandEP with our audience um, and, and making people aware of what the Indigenous people of Borneo are, are facing so that we can do our best to try and change the tides. Thank you so much, Fiona. It's been a pleasure uh, sharing about what we do with you and also speaking about the issues that we're dealing with here in Borneo. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Hands Up. We, I mean, excuse me. Thank you, Randy, and from Hands Up. So thank you. Thanks to Randy for taking the time to talk to me about the issues he is facing as the head of a social enterprise and the challenges the native people of Indonesian Borneo are facing due to modernization and development. Go and follow Handep now on Instagram and watch the video of their story linked in our show notes. If you like this content, please spread the word by sharing with your friends and family. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your pods and leave us a comment on social media. Any contributions through our Patreon account are greatly appreciated, and you'll find a full list of our expenses there if you're interested in how much it costs to put something like this on.
The Eco Interviews is a true passion project of mine, and I feel honored to be able to connect with these people. I'd love to connect with you too, so that we can all channel our energy into creating a world where everyone can thrive, not just survive. Thank you.